Again, I had all these preconceived notions about the way of Jesus. White man's religion, white Jesus, all that's, I don't need none of that, bro. Like, it's, it's antithetical to me as a black cultural person um, or a culturally black person. And I find myself following Jesus in a predominantly white context. I'm Joshua S. Porter, and my book, Death to Deconstruction, is out now. You can get a copy from Amazon or Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, wherever you prefer to buy books or audiobooks. For the next few weeks, I'm wading even deeper into the waters of deconstruction and having conversations with people who, like me, have lots of great building blocks for the classic deconversion story. Things like abandonment, misogyny, hypocrisy, racism, doubt, disillusionment, failure. But all of them continue to follow Jesus, and I'm going to ask them why. Later in the series, we'll be hosting a Q&A episode, so you can submit questions at joshuasporter.com slash question. Writing a book may be hard, but publishing one is even harder, so whether or not things go well and I get to write more books is at least sort of up to you. If you care about that sort of thing, here's a few ways that you can really help. First, buy a copy of Death to Deconstruction. That one's obvious buy a copy for someone else, someone you think might like to read it. There's a free small group study guide on joshuasporter.com. Host a get-together and have everyone buy a copy. Next, tell other people about the book. Post about it on your social media outlets. Text a friend. Bring it up constantly in conversation with everyone you know. Three, leave Death to Deconstruction a good review on amazon.com. Leaving a review is fast, it's free, and it's easy, and it actually goes a long way in supporting the book. Four, listen to the Death to Deconstruction podcast and leave it a good review on the Apple Podcast app. This helps other people find the podcast, which helps other people find the book. And finally, you can follow my social media outlets for updates on the book, the podcast, speaking engagements, and more. I realize following accounts might not seem like a big deal to you or me, but other people care about that sort of thing. Anyway, those are a few ways you can help. Buy the book, tell other people about it, leave a good review on Amazon and the Apple Podcast app, and follow along for more updates. I understand there's an awful lot out there reaching for your attention, so I don't take the support lightly. Thank you very much. Hakeem Bradley was raised in what he calls a black identity cult to understand the Bible as a tool for oppression, a little more. But somehow, he became a youth group leader, a pastor, and now works with the Bible Project out of Portland, Oregon. He's seen the best and worst of church, and he hasn't bailed. Philadelphia. Born and raised. Born and raised. On the playground is where <laughs> oh, I spend dang. the most of my you days. You did it. I didn't do that. I'm just letting you know, bro. Yeah. How many years uh, in Philly before you moved somewhere else? I was, I'm trying to think of the, the math. Whatever age eighth grade is, okay, that's how old I was. So some like twelve or thirteen. I think that? I was thirteen, going on fourteen, and we hopped on the plane and didn't turn back. Almost did twice, but then my mom was like, "Nah, we ain't got no money to go back," <laughs> <laughs> so, so we stayed, and it worked out. So I mean, we've known each other for a while now, and I've I've heard you tell, at least from the stage. Um, and a little bit off stage about what it was like growing up in Philly and your context yeah. for now, here's a spoiler alert. At this point, uh, you have been a pastor, pastor of young people. Yeah. You've worked at churches, not just one church, but different church contexts, different kinds of churches. Mm -hmm. Um, bigger, slightly bigger than that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yep. You've been through like the, the grad school thing and seminary and you've hung out with, different kinds of faith leaders and had conversations with different kinds of pastors and you've walked with different types of people through following Jesus. And you've been someone who's been following Jesus yourself for a long mm. time now. Now you, you know, work learning about the Bible and trying to help other people learn about the Bible. Which is crazy. Cause people are like, bro, what you do for a living now? Like and, since you stopped being a pastor, I'm like, I study the Bible. And they're like, no, seriously, like, what do you do? I'm like, no, legit, that's what this I do. This is my job. This is what To study the Bible. <laughs> Which is wild to me. Yeah, it's wild to me too, man. I, I was jealous. That's said, okay. What? That's this a, is your job? I'm jealous of me sometimes, man. I'll be like, <laughs> how did I get here? Like, I, I, yeah, it's it's crazy, man, because, um, like, growing up in Philly, I, I was raised in, like, 
I think we talked about this, like mm-hmm. a black identity cult called the Five Percent Nation, and I understood the scriptures to be a bunch of old texts that would be kind of like a moral compass of how you should live, but also was used as a weapon to like oppress peoples throughout, you know, millennia. And I'm like, I don't know if I want any part in that. So I had all these preconceived notions about Jesus, the way of Jesus, Christians, church, you name it. I'm like, all that is the white man's religion. Uh, It's all, you know, really utilized to keep people boxed in into control and all of that stuff, which is the narratives that got passed on from the nation of Islam, and then what they branched out of, it's like a whole trail, but then 5% nation branched out of the nation of Islam. And I came to Portland with a bunch of preconceived notions about white people, about church, whatever. But I came here just as some kid with a sibling and a parent and found myself in different types of communities. I was plugged into communities that were predominantly Mexican, uh, Polynesian, Micronesian, I didn't even know what Micronesia was, like uh, map-wise. Learned about that, got a, got to hang around a bunch of black folks. It was all of this stuff. But a couple years later, I started following Jesus because a white dude from Newburgh <laughs> approached me at a soccer game. Wow. I was minding my business, bro. What like, a suburban sounding story. <laughs> <laughs> Which is wild. Like, yeah, yeah. One, I didn't like soccer at all until I moved here. Or football, wherever somebody might be listening sure, to this. Yeah. Um, but he approached me at a soccer game and beelined it to me. His name's Phil Zahn. And he's like, what's up, bro? My name's Phil. I'm like, that's cool, man. I'm still kind of fresh off the plane. It's been a couple years at this point. But I'm like, I don't know you, dog. And you approached me a little too angsty. So I need you to chill. And introduce himself. Talked about Young Life. I'm like, oh, I've heard of this. I feel like all my friends talk about this every Monday night or whatever. And how old are you at this point? I was 16. Okay. And he he invited me. And I'm like, all right, cool. So he's also like, um, can I get your phone number? And I was like, bro, this is weird. Like, we <laughs> just met, bro. Why are you asking me for my, and you a grown man. Like, why are you asking me for my phone number? But I gave it to him anyway. And I ended up going that following Monday, I believe, or the Monday after that. To Young Life. To Young Life. And I found myself in just multiple contexts that were different than what I grew up in. But I was really compelled by my leaders. And they would share their stories, talk about how Jesus impacted them in like a 10 minute little, you know, talk or whatever. And by the midway of uh, the midpoint of the school year, it was January, it was right before my 17th birthday, I heard him talk, it was like what they call the sin talk or whatever, mm-hmm. or I don't, I don't remember what it was called, but he gave this analogy of Jamba Juice. He's like, yo, life's like a smoothie. Immediately he had me. I was like, all right, bet. <laughs> as soon as you said Jamba Juice, I was like, I'm in. Whatever you talk about, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. So he goes, Life's like a smoothie, and in your life, you put in ingredients that don't belong, and it can make the smoothie toxic, but Jesus wants to renew the smoothie. And I was like, bet, I need that. And we sat at Dairy Queen the next week, and I was like, yo, how I get that renewed smoothie? And he started talking to me about Jesus, and he started talking to me about um, how he wanted to do life with me, which is like Christianese or whatever. Yep. But I was like, what does that mean? And he's like, man, I want to walk with you. I'm like, where are we going? I don't know Christianese. So I'm like, what, what's going on? And he's like, no, bro, like I want to spend time and I want you to see my life as I'm trying to emulate my life after that of Jesus. And weeks, months, and then years passed. And I just was like, yo, I want to imitate Phil as he imitates Jesus. And to this day, he's like a close brother of mine. Wow. We went from strangers to like mentor, mentee to like a father figure, son figure, to brothers over the span of, I think it's been 11 years now. Jeez. And that's where we are. But it all started at a soccer game for me. So when he comes up to you at that soccer game mm-hmm. and you'd, you'd at this point heard of Young Life, mm-hmm. eventually you're at Young Life and you're obviously, uh, if you don't know, Young Life is a um, kind of young people oriented, evangelistic, correct me if I'm wrong, it's like a, it. it they have programs at schools, high schools, camps, and camps, that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, kind of the class, and I don't mean this in any kind of negative, or inferred negative way, but it's kind of the one of the quintessential like youth group model, youth camp model mm-hmm. for yeah. telling people about Jesus and and uh, yeah. trying to help people follow G- young people follow Jesus. Well, it's like a Kickstarter for yeah, faith. Yeah. Yeah. So you're now at this point, you're hanging out in Young Life and I'm mm-hmm. assuming immediately hearing the whole Christian spiel and yeah. having your peers talk about following Jesus. Yeah. Um, was that immediately like bumping up against 
your previous 15 years mm. in Philly and the environment that you were raised, the stuff that you have been told, you've been carrying around stories about Christian. It's not like, yeah. you know, other people, they get dropped into young life and they're like, I've never heard this stuff. Yeah. I don't know anything about the Bible. I've never heard anything of it. Yeah. You had, you had a context for the scriptures. Mm-hmm. They, it was a negative context, but you'd heard about Jesus. You'd heard about the Bible. Yeah. And now you're dropped into a context where people are like, hooray for Jesus in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Was that, were you already kind of questioning your background at that point or was it like yeah. an affront to everything that you had heard? Yeah. I was questioning my background at that point. Just cause a couple years before um, I moved, I was in my great grandmother's basement and my step grandfather was cutting my hair and he started talking about Jesus. So like my mother was raised in the church, um, in a church context. My dad was also raised in somewhat of a church context, but then he converted to this whole uh, nation that, what is it? I think he was part of the nation that it's on first and then went to the 5% nation, whatever. So then when my parents met, that's when my mother got influenced to follow that way. But her family, and that's my great grandmother, um, her family all stayed within some type of Christian tradition. So I had some familiarity with it even though my preconceived notions about it were really based on what I was taught growing up in this um, identity cult. So, um, yeah, man, he, he started talking to me about Jesus. And I'm like, all right, like, in my mind, Jesus is some white dude that got some long hair with a beard that be wearing white all the time, and he always be posed like this. Yep, <laughs> yep, the classic peace sign, <laughs> religious peace sign of Jesus. And that was my framework, but as my grandfather kept talking to me about Jesus from that moment onward, in between me actually coming to faith and that initial conversation in the basement, I started to go like, oh, there's something intriguing about what he's saying. There's something intriguing about this whole Jesus thing. I just don't have the energy to really, and I really don't want to know more. Um, Even though, like, I'm not gonna put the energy in to figure it out, but I'm interested. Right. So by this point, talking with Phil, it was more like, oh, Okay, I see where you're getting at with that. Okay, well then I was wrong about my my thoughts and narratives about this or about that and about the fact that this is a white man's religion. I'm actually questioning that now because even though all of my leaders at Young Life were white, um, the kids were multi-ethnic and the kids were going, there's something transcendent about even the, the racial and ethnic identities of our our leaders that we're kind of tapping into. And then I started getting introduced to the fact that Jesus was a Jew from, you know, first century Palestine or Israel, whatever you want to call it, um, all of that stuff. And I just started to study more and more and more about that. And that's where I found myself going. I should continue to question everything I was raised on hmm. um, because I think I think it's wrong. And I want to investigate why. So by the time that you're having a conversation with Phil and then in Young Life and asking questions, mm-hmm. You're you're already not not necessarily like super intrigued, but not hostile. Yeah. Uh, because you you'd already had previous conversations. You had people in your family who yeah. were friendly to Jesus or who loved Jesus. Yeah. Um. Did you ever feel like uh, al- almost a sense of uh a- apprehension about learning more about Jesus or or pursuing the idea of being a Christian because of, oh man, my family background is this. And these are the things yes. I was taught. You know, people who were yeah. raised Christian and then bail on being Christian, they they mm-hmm. often describe like, oh, it was hard because I feel like I was going to let people in my family down. Yeah. Did you have that whole tug of war inside? Absolutely. I knew my mom would be cool with it because she had the whole context for it. I was more concerned with my dad and his side of the family because a lot of folks on his side of the family uh, were Muslim. And he kind of had this, you know, belief system. It was like a hybrid of like Islam and 5% nation, which also has some Islamic uh, tendencies to it. But it's also like a, bro, it's just janky. Like you can go it's with its own your, thing. Yeah. It's his own thing, even though it's trying to pull from all these different elements of like Buddhism, mysticism, even Christianity, all of this stuff. So I was scared of the conversations I would have to have, but that didn't stop me. I was just like, man, forget all that. We'll just cross those bridges when we get there. And when I first started talking about the fact that I'm like, yeah, I think I'm following, I want to follow this Jesus dude. It was more like, well, why would you want to do that? Then it was all of the questions that I would hear of, 
man, that's again, bro. That's just all designed to oppress you. That's in, in, uh, designed to enslave you. So, like, bro, you a mental slave now, bro. You just going back to what they gave us in the first place. That wasn't our religion to start with in the first place. So I'm like, oh man, like here we go. So that made me go, not necessarily to seek to become an apologist, but to go, I need to do some digger, uh, like some some deep digging in yeah. order to figure out like how to address these questions that they're bringing up because they're good questions and even the accusations I'm like okay I need to be able to articulate myself in a way that actually lets me explain that I um yeah it bro I got so many thoughts in my head about this it's just like I needed to figure out why I actually began to believe this whole thing yeah. about Jesus yeah and that's where the journey began. Have you that. always been like that? As long as I've known you, you've been a dude who's been interested in <laughs> theology and yeah. Bible stuff, asking questions, digging deeper. You're still doing that. You went, you're going straight from your graduate degree to a PhD program yeah. uh, without a second to breathe or anything. <laughs> study the Bible for a job. Has, has that always been your wiring or was that something that kind of awakened in you the more that you went down your kind of own faith journey? It awakened in me. I think I've always been kind of inquisitive just by nature about whatever. That could be sports, uh, trading card games like Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh, whatever. Whatever I had an interest in, I was go. I, I want to know more about this. Hmm. So once I got tagged on with Jesus, the Bible, the faith, I was like, I want to know everything I can know. And because there's such a deep well that just seems to be bottomless, like <laughs> I'm like, I want to continue to go deeper and deeper and deeper. So it was, dude, yo, it was... Right after I graduated high school, I said, I'm going to read through the whole Bible and I'm going to take my time. All of my friends were doing like the whole year in the uh, Bible in a year plan mm -hmm. and all that stuff. I was terrible at it. So I was like, that's not for me. I'm going to just take my time and just read through this thing. Read commentaries, listen to sermons, the whole nine. And that awakened like this love for the scriptures. Because bro, wow. the Bible story, like it gets weird real fast. I know. I like that about it. You know? Yeah. That's why I was like, what's going on here? Is it talking snake? Yep. What's what's going on? Like so from there, you know, then I got into Exodus. I was like, oh, this like ramped up. Then I got into Leviticus, which kind of plateaued me for a while. Yeah, I'll take it back out. And I was like, oof, I don't know if I'm gonna make it through. But I pressed on and for literally about eight, nine, maybe ten years, I've just been reading straight through. Slowly. Like I've read things after like I'm only at Hebrews right now. Just doing that whole slow readings type stuff on a devotional standpoint. Um and it's been crazy, dog, how long of a journey that I think I never imagined myself embarking on in the first place. But, yeah, it just, it awoke out of nowhere. Yeah. Because I just had a random thought, like, I should probably read through this thing. Yeah. And so you've been doing that long term now mm -hmm. for a really long time. And then in the background of your life, mm -hmm. you're going from you know, young life, hanging out with other young teenagers following Jesus. And, yeah. uh, and then you're at some point in it dropped into youth group culture proper. You start showing up to mm -hmm. a church out in the Beaverton area, yep. of Oregon, right? And yep. participating. And there's people who are like, dude, you should help do this and you should mm -hmm. help lead this. Uh, did that feel like, Oh God, this is, this is a lot to process. <laughs> yeah. Or was it more like it was keeping up with your own pace or where yeah. you felt like you were being kind of, you know, like brought along in a whirlwind of, it was a whirlwind, bro. It was a whirlwind because even though I, I was really intrigued and immersed in young life, church was a different being though. Totally. So I got invited in by one of my best friends uh, at Beaver in high school. She was like, oh, you should come to church with me. I'm like, all right, what's the name? She's like, Solid Rock. And I was like, where is that? She was like, it's down the street from where we actually go to school. And I said, well, how far down the street? Cause I ain't got no car. So how are we gonna <laughs> get there? She's like, I'll take you. So we went and then that following Wednesday, we went to youth and I was like, this, I have no context for this because even though it's a bunch of young people surrounded around the cause of worshiping and learning more and knowing Jesus is just different. Like the young life area, you had a bunch of teens who come from all types of backgrounds who might never commit to the way of Jesus. But in the youth group space, there was kind of this expectation that at least you were pursuing this. Yeah. You're on the, you're in starting some, at the same you're place. So, yeah. You're at some, some type of level of engagement with this whole Jesus thing. And yeah, man, I just stayed, but then I started getting, as you said, I got pulled into student leadership, 
Then was like, all right, man, we're going to throw you on stage. Seem like you can communicate a little bit. Let's give you an opportunity to teach. I'm like, teach on what? And they're like, racism and MLK and Jesus. I was like, bro, where am I? <laughs> and from there kind of birthed like a, a like for teaching. And, and then that developed into a love for teaching and helping to turn the lights on for people as the lights have been turned on for me. Um, but yeah, dog, it was a, I didn't know what I was doing half the time. I'm like, I don't even really know how to read this thing. But I'm willing to fumble and figure yeah. it out as I go. Yeah. So was the um, you know I'm assuming that y- you already have gone through at this point kind of an adjustment period because you're coming from Philly mm-hmm. to the Pacific Northwest, Oregon. Mm-hmm. It's a very different place than Philadelphia. Significantly. Significantly different. There's no Rocky Balboa out here. There's no cheese sticks There's that no are worth sticks, while. No Pats. No Genos. Oh, neither Max's. one. Oh God, <laughs> help us. And. Uh, I, re- I the first time I went to Philadelphia was in 2002 and honestly this was and you know I'd go there many times over the years it is one of the more um you, it has a specific identity that's unique to other cities mm. yeah. and, you know like a lot of cities are unique but comparable you know if mm-hmm. you've been to for instance like LA and San Francisco yeah they're both really different but they feel like California and yeah. they have a lot of similarities they're just yeah. different personalities or even here, you know, Portland and Seattle are really different, but they're the Pacific Northwest and they're yeah. recognizable. I remember thinking that first time in Philly, it was like, this feels like a whole different place. Even just <laughs> visually, the the aesthetic of the city is different. And then if you've seen movies set in Philadelphia, like Rocky's a great example, it, it feels like being there. They feel like their own, it, it has its own identity yeah. for sure. So you're there yeah. for at this point, most of your life, almost your entire life. You go to the Pacific Northwest. You're having to go through this adjustment period. I'm assuming that mm-hmm. feels like, well, this is totally different. Yeah. Um, and now you're all of a sudden in the church culture mm-hmm. of the Pacific Northwest and church culture in general. Cause yeah. like you said, young life is a different animal than, you mm-hmm. know, a, a suburban uh, mega church. Yeah. And the church that you got swept up in, I worked there and you know, we were there together uh, mm-hmm. off and on throughout the years. And I don't mean this in any kind of negative way. It's just it churches are a product of their environments and mm-hmm. they, they are, you know, they, in hopefully on their best day, they contribute in a meaningful way to their city and contextualize to their city. And yeah. th- that church was very much a church of its time and place and is, today I'm, I'm assuming uh and yeah. and again not in a bad or even necessarily a good way it's just like that's that's this how is that what works. it is yeah. yeah um was that weird was that like uh dude uh i'm assuming i mean like it's a majority white area already mm-hmm. and, and now a majority white church mm-hmm. and immediately someone's coming up to you and being like come teach on racism <laughs> 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 easy get up here and teach all these people about racism bros it was it's interesting, man, because I had a thought about this whole period of my life um, a couple months ago going, either I was crazy to jump in that or God has like a sense of humor. And what I mean by that is, um, again, I had all these preconceived notions about the way of Jesus, it's white man's religion, white Jesus, all that's, I don't need none of that, bro. Like it's, it's antithetical to me as a black cultural person. Um, or a culturally black person. And I find myself following Jesus in a predominantly white context just years after that. Either I'm insane and delusional or God's like, ha-ha, we're going to have to break some of those those um, misconceptions down. But the only way to do that is to immerse you in it. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Proximity changes the game. And that was it for me. Um yeah, we, that can go down a whole rabbit trail. But was it I, painful? Was it ever like this? This sucks. It or? was both. Yeah. It was exciting because I'm like, oh, I these people believe in me for whatever reason. Okay, that's dope. And then on the other hand, I'm like, man, but there's n- nobody that really looks like me here, and that's tough. Not like, um, yeah, I'm gonna just leave that there. It was just tough it, yeah. for a, a variety of reasons. Um, but yeah, it was just a, a hodgepodge of experiences. Did you ever have the, um, we all go through periods of seeing behind the curtain of church Mm -hmm. culture, whether you're just actively participating in a church or Mm -hmm. certainly if you're, you know, like helping lead a church at any capacity, 
um, you start to see behind the scenes oh, and yeah. you almost immediately realize like, oh, wow, these people are, aren't so great all the time. Yeah. And, you know, you end up getting hurt by people and you hurt people. And absolutely. Did you ever go through um, moments of or seasons of or was there ever like a specific time where you were like, dude, this thing is so screwed up mm-hmm. and it's so messed up that I don't even know if I want to participate in it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I think I had two two bouts of that. The first time I would say was it was in my early, early twenties. In like I think that era from twenty to twenty two. I was in the middle of I had two jobs at two different churches. I was a janitor at one and I got to see some behind the scenes stuff with that. And then I was a youth intern at a different one, which I was starting to it was turning a corner on like a role in a church. Because being a janitor is different than, you know, helping a pastor youth. So I think during that period, I had um, no, like, formal training and not much guidance from those who were older than myself. So, like, it was a bunch of trial and error, which you got to go through in some way. But I did get the chance to see and overhear conversations that would happen. And I'm just going, yo, what is this? And... You know, as you as you do your trial and error thing, that was on the janitorial side. Then when I was being a youth intern, I'm like saying things that I'm just like, why would I say that? Hurting this kid's feelings or I'm just perpetuating the cycle of mm-hmm. the things that I experienced as a, as a teen. And then continuing that on to these other teenagers that are coming after me. Now I'm just like, bro, I'm jacking them up just as I got jacked up. Why am I even in this? I'm not even capable of being this. I'm incompetent. Why did I get hired for this? I'm only 21. Like, what's going on here? <laughs> so it was all of those thoughts. Um, and then the second round was actually about a year and a half to two years ago. Wow. Um, I circled back to another church that I was working at prior. And there was just these dynamics between staff, elders. It was ugly. And I'm asking questions, they're not really getting answered. Um, I'm also trying to lead these young adults now, 18 to 30 year olds or whatever. And they're asking me questions about the church. What's going on with this? I'm like, man, I don't even know. Again, why am I even in this? Am I I wired to be a pastor? Am I wired to be in this type of church system? Do I want to be in this type of church system? I had a lot of questions, bro. And still do to this day. But... I think I learned in the second round of this whole thing going like, I'm questioning it all, is that I don't think I'm designed for this type of role, but I do care about the church mm. in whatever expression, and I want to see the church healthy in whatever way that means, and I want to be able to participate in helping to make it healthy and maintain that healthiness, but it's going to take you know, some, some struggle to get there. Yeah. So hopefully what, that makes sense. Totally. What do you think it is about you that made you – it's interesting to me that you say that you were able to recognize, oh man, maybe I'm maybe this isn't necessarily the best fit for me at this point. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm not designed for this particular role or this place in this role, whatever. Um, but then right after that, you say, but I do want to see the church healthy, which implies that you care about the church. You, yeah. you believe in the church to yeah. the degree that you want to see it be well. Yeah. What do you think it is? Because at this point in your life, you've already demonstrated your willingness to break off from like uh, belief structures that have been handed to you. Mm-hmm. It, you're, you know, like a lot of us that, you know, were raised Christian um, are accused of like, well, you know, you just people do what as they've done. Yeah. You were handed this thing and yeah. now you're afraid to let it go. But that's not your story. You you were raised in something that you eventually um, parted ways with mm-hmm. and not even not in a small way. I mean, that's a, that's yeah. a radically different way. And then you take on a new um, way of understanding the world and you grow in that way. And then you uh, become reasonably uh, frustrated Mm -hmm. with one of its primary expressions, which is the church. What is it, do you think, about you or about that time or about your story that made you say, "Okay, well, maybe this isn't the best place for me, but I believe in it. I want to see it. I want to see it well. I think this is important as opposed to, man, this whole thing sucks. I don't want to have anything to do with it. And I, and I don't believe that it's good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, one, that's a really good question. One, um, during that season, the the second bout, um, 
I got to understand that I think I even pursued pastoral ministry because it was something that people told me that I should do. And especially like when you just asked, was it a whirlwind? When you mm-hmm. got, that's what it, that's my whole experience in pastoral ministry, getting involved with the church in that, at least this expression of church in that capacity was all a whirlwind. But it was because, yo, you should be doing this and you should be doing that. And you got that type of skill. Well, then let's hone that. And then let's, and I just got to a point where I'm like, bro, this doesn't even make me feel alive. This is like draining for me. Mm-hmm. This isn't my wiring. So let me figure out what I'm wired to do that can contribute to this expression of church though. And I even have that desire in the first place because I think the church is necessary. Without the church, there is no me in following Jesus. Like following Jesus is not a solo journey, even though you as an individual embark on it. It's a it's a journey that's interconnected with other people who have chosen to go about this route. So I can't peace out on the church and Jesus loves the church. And it has many expressions, many traditions, and all of them got some stuff about them. Right. Um, so no matter where I go, it doesn't matter if I jump out of the tradition that I fir- originally came into and jump on board with another one, I'm going to have to deal with something. Right. So while I'm here in this context, instead of just me being upset about issues, how can I help mend them? And I'm not required to fix I'm not required to fix the church, but I am required to participate. Hmm. And this is Jesus's thing. And he's responsible for the church. However, um, as a, as a member in a part of the body. Ooh. Okay. Metaphor. God, ooh, I like those. <laughs> Give me one. Like Paul gives this whole metaphor about the body. Um, each part is necessary and I'm a part. So I'm necessary for this thing, but my necessity is attached to the necessities of others. Right. I, I could be a pinky finger, right? If I get cut off, I'll wither away at some point. My health is predicated upon me being attached to the thing. Even if the thing is sick, I still need to be attached to it. And yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I just want to see, um, I want to see the church's reputation get better in the spaces that I'm in. And the only way to do that is to participate sometimes. Maybe I'm not called to be there for, forever in this type of expression, but while I'm here, I, I got to do something. Right. Like you, you know? maybe you don't have to be the pastor of young people, but you, you have to be. There. I got to be. Yeah. I got to be around. Yeah. You know, whether that's me chit-chatting with young people in whatever capacity, but it's helping them to see Jesus for who he is and not just who people tell them that. Uh, no, sorry. that's I'm telling them about Jesus. Um, but maybe not who they have constructed him to be. Right. And I'm like, hey, have you ever thought about him this way? This is how Matthew presents Mark, Luke, John, a little bit of Acts, <laughs> or even Paul or Jane. Like, the, here's how these authors have portrayed and created this mosaic about Jesus. Have you ever seen it this way? So, and then I'm going to fall in how I articulate Jesus too. So yeah. there's that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you think that you got there, um, your, it sounds like, you know, kind of a deep-seated mm. appreciation for the church uh, with all its problems and brokenness. Yeah. Did you get there theologically and your theology informed like your ability to be able to say, okay, well maybe I'm not best suited for this role at, at this point, mm-hmm. but I am, I'm in, you know, in your words, like I, I'm, I'm designed to be a part of the church. Like, yeah. I, you know, I'm the pink, even if I'm the pinky finger, I have to be attached or I wither away. Did yeah. you get there? Because you've been learning and studying, reading, or did you also get there kind of experientially? Like you see all this broken crap yeah. in the church, but you, had you also experienced like the familial love of the church and the connectedness Absolutely. of the church? Absolutely. I've had the privilege of being a part of different uh, styles of church, whether that be a predominantly black church, multi-ethnic, predominantly white church, all within like Protestantism. But all in all of those spaces, regardless of the hardships, like there were people that I genuinely loved and genuinely still love and that has been reciprocated. So people have cared for me. But I've also had those seasons where I'm like, man, I feel like I'm on an island. Mm-hmm. And if I'm on this island for much longer, I don't know where this leads me. And I feel like I'm if I deviate one degree away from what Jesus is trying to steer me towards, over the long course, how far apart am I away? But I need people to help fill in the blind spots so I don't deviate as often as I can um, or that I may. You know, it, it will. I'm prone to wander, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is that, a hymn? Something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah, beautiful. You could sing it for us <laughs> if you want. Nah, man, it's not me, though. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I'm prone to wander. 
and I and I've had people who have said, Hakeem, you're steering off a little bit. We can see it. You need to snap back. And that wouldn't have been a thing unless I was attached. But at the flip side, I felt like I was on an island in the seasons where I'm like sitting in seminary and I'm going, how come we're not reading any books from people outside of a European framework? Like yeah. you're telling me the body of Jesus is global, but yet we're only seeing one aspect, one slice of the pie. I want to taste the other slices. This pie is way more, you know, it's way more delicious than what I'm just sampling right now. Yeah. It, you know, the same flavor over time gets bland. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so totally. I'm like, yo, okay, let me see what's up. And nobody was teaching me the fact that, this is even prior to seminary, nobody was teaching me that a lot of the church mothers and fathers from the early centuries were like people from North Africa or Asia Minor or just the Middle East. Like all of this stuff, all of my frameworking for church history, uh, theology, all came from one slice of the pie primarily. And it wasn't until I said, yo, something is off. But I had no guidance there. So I just started listening to people from all over and I'm going, oh, wait, what? That's a thing? Hold on. Wait, so Athanasius from where? <laughs> okay, and then it's the, oh, 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 wow. Okay. So people with my complexion have been following Jesus since the beginning of the movement. Wow. Okay, then that has a lot for me to think through. But I wouldn't have got there unless people that I didn't even know, but other people in the body had did the work to make that happen. And it wasn't until I got attached to what they were doing that made me see those things even better. But had I not accomplished those, not sorry, not accomplished, if I had not um, discovered that these resources were out there that was in the body and just remained on an island, I probably would have withered away and yeah. going, no, maybe this is actually a white man's religion and they were right all along. Yeah. Why am I here? Yeah. How'd you survive seminary when, Ooh. because <laughs> I, I agree, uh, yeah. you know, even, and we had uh, conversations in classes where even when you're taking, you know, like theology in the context of world religion and stuff like that, mm -hmm. you're like, okay, but how come we still only read these same few dudes? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, not even dudettes. How come we still <laughs> read these same few dudes and they all look the same? And yeah. um, we uh, refer to other mm -hmm. people every now and then. Right. Uh, but we don't have a, a larger framework and it feels a little, it starts to feel a little bit like, well, I mean, I get it. It's one school and they're doing what they do, but yeah. um, how did that not create a kind of academic disillusionment? Were you just more like, ah, these guys just aren't teaching everything. I'm going to go out and I'm going to learn more myself. Or was it, did you ever feel like the, the academy itself is starting to feel stupid because you're mm. still in it. You're all the way in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I haven't discarded the academy as a whole, even though I think the academy has its issues for sure. Sure. Um, but it was the first It was the first option. I said, hey, man, okay, I know that I'm going to get this. This is what I signed up for when I started to go to school here. So I'm going to just have, I'm going to supplement everything else on my own time and then bring that into my conversations in class, which I did, which was very helpful. Man, so, I bet your classes were entertaining. They were interesting, bro, because <laughs> there was moments where it was tense. There was moments where there was crying. There was moments where it was like the ahas. Uh, when multiple perspectives come into a room, you don't know what you're going to get. But it's, I, think it's, I think it's worth the risk. Was it ever heated? People don't like having their preconceived notions oh, yeah, it was scratched heated, at. Sure, yeah, because I would get heated. Sure. I'm just like, no, I, I would literally flat out say, that doesn't work for these type of folks in my community, hmm. at least in the environment, because not all black people are monolithic. It's not monolithic, right? But I'm like, at least where I'm from, even where I'm from, it's not my, I, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, totally. Try not to generalize too much, but it's like, no, that, that, that just, that doesn't work. That doesn't land for me, culturally. And the people that would resonate with my culture, that doesn't land. Well, it's the truth. No, 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 no. <laughs> you can't say that. No. We have to we have to analyze this, even though what you might be saying may be true. You can't just go, well, it's the truth and just brush off what I'm trying to say. We have to dig a, 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 a deeper hole here and try to investigate what's down there. And then from there, maybe we can find some common ground and go, OK, yeah. Or maybe I can go. No, you're right for sure. But at least we went down the road to figure out whether or not this is true. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, there, totally. was, there was those moments for sure. But and I, it didn't make you give up. You hung you hung in there and Nah. Plus my cohort was cool. Yeah. <laughs> my cohort was cool. Even though I was the only black dude in there. That was okay, because I knew where I was at. At least by <laughs> this time I was like, man, I've been here for ten years, twelve years at this point. So I know what I'm getting here in Portland. But yeah. There's that. 
Ja. Did you ever have like a, uh, I, I've been calling them like deconversion moments where mm. it's not, it's not that you deconvert or renounce faith in Jesus, but the option to deconvert presents itself in a meaningful way. You know, yeah. at, at some point, I mean, mm. anyone who follows Jesus, you can stop following Jesus at any time. There's not yeah. like, it's you're not off ramps per se. You just get off the, you know, the narrow road yeah. and that's it. And people do. Yeah. But everybody who follows Jesus for any meaningful stretch of time, even a short amount of time, realizes that uh, moments appear in life usually on the heels of crisis or suffering or mm-hmm. um, you know cognitive dissonance or whatever it might be, sometimes just in the fog of life, where the reality that, uh, oh, I don't have to do this, yeah. appears before you very clearly. And yeah. there's a temptation much like, you know, the temptations of Jesus himself, you know, the devil comes to him and it's like, you could do this instead, or you could do that. You could, mm. um, pervert the scriptures or you could go after your own power, you mm-hmm. know, like, and, uh, that word temptation. It's, I think when we talk about Jesus being tempted, we we're like, well tempted, but he wasn't really tempted. He mm. never even gave it a second <laughs> thought, but you know, like as if that tempted doesn't mean tempted. And so even Jesus was tempted in the deconversion moment where he's yeah. like, Oh, I, okay. So I could do this, yeah. um, but I won't. Yeah. Uh, did you have in the midst of all that also those kind of deconversion moments where it's not just disillusionment with the church, and frustrations with the context, but where you're like, is is this even mm. worth it? Do I actually believe these things? Yeah. Was it the whirlwind that made me think that I believe these things, mm. and now I can see a little clearer, and I don't really want to do this anymore? Mm. Yeah, no, dude, I've never been asked this question. Mm, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your I, answer is being committed to tape for all time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, bro, whatever gets gets said, it gets said. Um. Yes, I have had those moments at different points for sure. And I think one temptation was like, Hakeem, you could take this and try to blow up your name and become a a somebody in certain people's eyes. And that lead to wealth, um, opportunity after opportunity, fame, whatever, like, and I'm not saying that people who do like itinerant preaching or whatever, that any of that's bad, I'm not saying that. But I know that type of stuff would have destroyed me. Hakeem, Mari, you got the tempt- you could really blow up your Instagram right now and get followings. All you gotta do is say this. Or you have to do is change your content to look more like this. Man, stop posting pictures of your son. And like, <laughs> start doing this and watch it blow up. It's like, I had all those temptations, but I'm so aware. And there's so many things I'm not aware of in myself. But for the things that I am, I'm really aware of my, um, of what will bring destruction to me. And I mean that on a physical, mental, emotional level, which is all encompassed in the spiritual. I, I just know if there's but so much attention that gets put on to me, I could really start leaning in and thinking that I'm the ish. And I, that terrifies me. Um, and then secondly, my biggest fear in life, though, is walking away from Jesus. Because I know at any moment I can go, man, I don't know. There's plenty of people who've done it. Yeah. And who will continue to do so. Right. And I'm not I'm not exempt from that. That was the biggest thing that hit me just even a couple years ago. It's like, Hakeem, you are not exempt from walking away just because you love the scriptures and you feel like you really know Jesus and you're deeply connected into church life and you know, you try to, you know, pattern your life after Jesus, all of that stuff. At the end of the day, bro, it could switch any moment. So don't get too comfortable. 
And I know some folks might be like, well, once saved, always saved. All that stuff, man. At the end of the day, I can leave. And that scares me. So it's just my, I'm trying to develop, continually develop my self-awareness. But it was those moments where I'm like, I could, you know, I could I could really go out here and wild out. Mm-hmm. And I do this whole Jesus thing. This suffering piece on certain aspects, like, kind of sucks. That self-denial stuff, man. Yeah, that's hard. Sometimes I just want to do what I want to do. And it's just like, man, but it, I see how it leads to destruction. And things that I've actually executed on are going like, man, that was a dumb decision. Why did I do that? Why did I even say that? Now my wife's pissed. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I just ruined the day. Um, and, you know, I'm I'm just I'm grateful for his grace. Yeah. And allowing me not to execute on those temptations. What do you think made you aware of your um, spiritual mortality in that, you know, even just as recently as a couple of years ago, you start to become aware of the fact that like, oh, man, that my discipleship to Jesus is not a given. I have mm-hmm. to continue to walk and he has to continue to lead Was yes. being a dad help with that. Or is that just something that occurred to you? Like what was it seeing other people fall away? It's mainly seeing other people fall away and seeing other people wreck their lives. People that I've looked up to, folks that you know, you kind of think you know, but th- they're strangers mm-hmm. um, that you look up to the media or whatever. Um, becoming a dad was an element of going, okay, I have somebody who's going to look at me and try to pattern themselves after me. Yeah. yeah at least I hope so if I'm a, yeah. if I'm oh, a yeah. good dad, it's right? It's a terrifying and beautiful reality. Yes. I'm like, I can really jack this kid up. Um, so all of the pressures and being a husband, just like Hakeem, you have to be a man of integrity and of honesty. So all of those pressures and all of those calamities that I've seen made me go, ooh, dude, you you have a proclivity too. And you just need to be aware of that and pray that you never lose sight of that because it's easy to. Yeah. Yeah. We, we were just talking about James before we started recording. And mm-hmm. isn't it kind of haunting and beautiful that at the end of all that whole letter, he's talking about all these big issue and dense theological things. And he ends by saying, oh, uh, by the way, if someone if someone leaves, mm-hmm. they will. Yeah. And someone goes after them and brings them back. If they can bring them back, mm. oh, they'll save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Yes. To me, the weird thing is, is like, oh, he says it as if that's a given. So mm. people, you know, when they go. Yeah. And it's also a given that someone's going to go looking for them. Yeah. But then he's like, if they can manage to bring that person back. So they might not. They yeah. might not bring them back. Yeah. And that's the first, like, significant movement of Jesus in Jerusalem. These people that are like... These oh, people saw him. And they saw him. They yes. was right there. And they're already walking away and they're and he's already writing about it as is it's a given. Yeah. Well, sure, they're gonna go and you're gonna try to get them back. Mm. But And um, even Jude. Jude says something about uh for those who doubt, deal with them what did he say? Uh with mercy or something like that. He said, Deal with doubt is kindly. I forget what he says. I'm butchering it all up. It's, I should remember it's a super short letter. Like <laughs> <laughs> But like he says something about it's a given and that's scary because I'm going, I could be that. Yeah. And I don't want to be. So what can I do on my side of the journey to prevent that from being the case? What? If, how have you started to answer that question? Ooh. Well, I'm a part of a crew that we call the Brotherhood. Um, we've kind of modeled it a little bit after the C-Rock guys. Of like, yo. So that's like, if you don't know, C-Rock's kind of a fraternity of pastors mm-hmm. um, that get together and hold one another accountable, share life in yeah. a meaningful way. Yeah. So we're all in between 27 and 32. And most of us are married. I think there's only one who isn't married yet. Two of us have kids. We like have weekly check-ins where we send these Marco Polos, which is an app that you may or may not want to engage on. Um <laughs> Then we have these monthly calls where we FaceTime, and then we have yearly uh, trips that we all gather together. And man, the things that get revealed, the encouragements that happen out of that, it's it's a hodgepodge of the whole thing. So this this group keeps me keeps me grounded, and we're very honest with one another, super honest. And everybody in there is involved with some type of ministry aspect, or has been involved in some type of ministry, and. Yeah, dude, it could it could get ugly where you just be like, man, I did not even notice I was doing that. But I'm I'm grateful and I'm offended that you even brought it up. But I'm glad that you did. Yeah. So all of those things keeps me really grounded. My wife's also super honest. 
So she's like, hey, I feel like you're being unloving right now. I'm like, oh, okay. That's helpful. <laughs> I was like, it's very helpful. And um, I just think I have friends. Like, that if I need to call, if I'm like, yo, Josh, I need to, need to chat with you about something. I feel like you pick up. Like, I'll give ear to that. So even having those spaces is super, super helpful to keep me grounded and keep me aware of these things. Yeah. These are the, like, you got, everybody are the folks that fill in my blind spots. Yeah. That I was talking about earlier. Yeah, totally. There's a consistent thread in your story of the community of faith, you mm-hmm. know, like you come to faith in a community context, flawed though it may have been in some ways, but was also beautiful and yeah. that you, you saw Jesus amongst peers and leaders, still friends mm-hmm. with the dude who first had a conversation with you on the soccer field or whatever. Yeah. And then you come into church contexts and as broken as they can be or flawed as they can be, you experience family love of mm-hmm. Jesus and, and see, you know, like not just theologically, but you are experientially um, learning the necessity of the community of faith. Oh, and yeah. then when I'm like, oh, well, how do you protect yourself against deconstruction? You're like, oh, OK, well, I meet with these people. <laughs> I have a micro community with my wife who I live with and knows yeah. me better than than anybody else. Yeah. And I have friends that I can call. It's the, the constant thread of really the church. These are all just different ways of saying the church of yeah. Jesus. Man, I've I've come to believe and realize that the church is a community where I will be wounded and a community where I will be healed. And that's just the family. That's a family, right? Like your family wounds you and yeah. you wound. And you also participate in the healing of somebody and that's where you can find some healing as well. That might not be picture perfect for everybody. And it isn't picture perfect for anybody actually. And some families are harder to be in, in some yeah. suck just as a whole, but some are great. Nevertheless, whether that's biological family, adopted family, chosen family, whatever, um, there's space and an opportunity for healing to take place. Yeah, Even absolutely. though the wounding is guaranteed. Man, sure. I was always really encouraged by that about you. I'll tell mm. you this, because... Uh, mm. Um, met you a long time ago and, uh, and at that point we were both getting involved or were involved in a church context and crossing paths in the same kind of church. And, and at some point, uh, a lot of time went by and I didn't see you or hear from you at all. And Mm -hmm. we were both doing different things. And then when I reconnected with you, you were walking down the hallway of a church yeah. and I was there just, uh, happened to be visiting and I was like, Oh my God, it's you. How are you doing? We started talking and then you know, when we got coffee and we're catching up, you're telling me, okay, so here's what I've been doing. And, and, uh, and church was such a significant part of both of our stories. To me, nothing is quite as encouraging as Mm. faithfulness, you Mm. know, uh, Mm. to the way of Jesus, obviously, but to the family of Jesus. And I just assume that any person has very good reasons for bailing out, meaning, you yeah somebody hurt you or something really bad happened to you or you saw something that was so corrupt yeah because it's where people are people uh, you know i don't know if you've uh, experienced this but they kind of suck sometimes <laughs> <laughs> spoilers for people listening to this episode people can kind of suck sometimes yeah so i'm assuming just like i assume for anybody you know when i see you walking down the hallway in that church like he probably has reasons that he could have quit if he wanted to quit yeah and one of the first things I was like, so what are you doing? And you're like, oh, I'm actually applying for a job here. And I was like, man, this guy's still, yeah. he's still involved the same way that you were. I'm assuming so much has changed and we've changed, but here yeah. you are still doing it and not just doing it, but you're like, you know, in the thick of the community and, yeah. and participating. Um, I wanted to ask you about uh, the, the deconstruction fad in a cultural context. Mm. So, I wouldn't presume to speak for everybody's experience or to characterize groups of people, but statistically speaking, deconstruction is a primarily kind of like white millennial um, American phenomenon Mm. in that if you go and look at a Barna poll or something like that, yeah, you'll see that the reasons are usually the same kinds of things, church, you know, hypocrisy or the politicization of, Hmm. the Bible, that kind of stuff is what people cite as reasons why I don't want to be a Christian anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. um, Christian nationalism and, uh, judgmental, uh, hypocrites, things like that. Um, but the statistics will usually be freighted on the side of like, Oh, his white millennials. And it kind of contributed to this idea that if you're American and you go to church, even in a 
quote unquote evangelical esque context. And I don't mm-hmm. mean that as like the political term, but yeah. you know, the expression of church that's most common in Protestant circles in America. Yeah. If you go to church there and you walk in Christian circles and you talk to people, it starts to feel a little bit like, man, everybody's leaving. Mm. Uh, people are bailing out. There's always some former Christian celebrity on Instagram being like, I did it. I walked away. I'm so brave, you know? Yeah. And, uh, people, like you said earlier, people that you look up to in faith positions that you don't even necessarily know, um, decide that they don't want to follow Jesus anymore, or Mm. they want to leave orthodoxy and become some kind of new spiritual hybrid that has a version of Jesus in it, but it's not the version that's been precious to the church for 2000 years. Um, and it, so it starts to feel like, Oh man, everybody's bailing out. But one of the things that was encouraging to me when I was discouraged by that was talking to somebody who said like, well, I mean, maybe in this one specific little context, but Hmm. you know, around the world, that's Hmm. not in, that's not indicative of what's happening to the movement of Jesus around the world. You, you know, for years now of your adult life have been in Oregon, you know, a predominantly white context. And Mm -hmm. uh, even if you move into pockets where there's diversity, for by and large, it's not like going, you know, where I grew up in Georgia or if yeah. you are in Philadelphia, you know, these are different. They're, Significant. There's different types of people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, did it ever, does it ever feel to you here? Like, uh, has it, has that ever been like, dude, what the heck? Why, why does everybody keep quitting? Or yeah. were you able to be like, well, I've been to different places and I know different kinds of people. And this is not really the whole story. It's just, this is a, a, fraction yeah. of one part of the story yeah. in one place. Yeah, I would say the second thing. It's a fraction. It's a slice of the pie. And it's actually a little slice yeah. of the pie. Because man, I've I've read stories about what's happening with the Jesus movement in Iran under church like underground. And like these women are like leading this church over there. And it's booming, bro. And dog, I remember listening to this woman uh who was getting assaulted in so many different ways say um, sorry for the trigger warning. Um, I give my body as a living sacrifice. Like the whole Romans 12, one thing. She's like, no, like I will endure all of this because I refuse to denounce Jesus. Wow. No matter what I'm experiencing here. And I was like, whoa, snap. Okay. So church is booming over there. I'm hearing about things in Nigeria, booming, Brazil, booming, China, booming. Like you just name these different pockets of the world outside of the West. It's like the global east and the global south. You're going, oh no, like Jesus is doing his thing. He's still doing it in North America and in Europe for yeah. sure. But we see something happening where clearly like the, the epicenter is shifting. The West has been like an epicenter for a couple centuries. It's like, that's at least that's where the main focus was when I say epicenter, not that Jesus hasn't been doing anything else yeah. anywhere. Let me just clarify that. Um, but the focus has been so far on the West, but the shift is happening. And I don't think people in the West know what to do about that. So it could be easy to go like, oh man, like there's a decline in Christians in the West. So therefore the Jesus movement globally is like declining. It's like, no, it's actually booming right now in the midst of like hellacious things. Nevertheless, like it, it, what else can I say? But that is booming. Yeah. So I, who am I to, to project, you know, the experience of some in the States as the whole thing. That's actually like spitting in the face of those who are enduring, you know, different set of circumstances, but are pushing forward and spreading the way of Jesus. That's just, that's what's been happening for 2000 years on multiple continents. So I'm not, I mean, it's, it's a thing to pay attention to, but I refuse to make the fraction the whole thing. Yeah. That's just my, my judgment. Yeah. So now with all this experience and that perspective that you have. Did that make sense? Yeah, 100%. (laughs) That was awesome. I mean, these are things that I've been telling myself and retelling myself and you retelling them to me here Mm -hmm. now. It's just like, yeah, right on. (laughs) I needed to hear that again. I always (laughs) want to hear that. (laughs) Uh, You've got, you know, years under your belt, years to come, obviously. Mm. Um, Done a lot of learning, more learning to do, as, as is the case with all of us. But... You're at church, hypothetically. You're at church. Young person comes up to you that is 16, same age as you on the soccer field, mm. um, and they're they're coming to faith. You know, maybe they're in that period where you were. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I think I do want to follow Jesus. Um, 
even so, even in just a short amount of time, the world's a different place. Mm -hmm. uh, conversations, cultural conversations are different. Very different. The pressure from the host culture, I mean, especially where we happen to live right now, uh, you and I, meaning the, you know, the progressivism of the Pacific Northwest is not friendly to mm. the way of Jesus mm. and the teachings of Jesus. Mm. We like the Jesus, the cartoon character who's mm. more like a space hippie, you know, <laughs> but not the actual Jesus of history. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's this pressure and there's these narratives and somebody comes to you and is like, man, you know, I, I'm, I think I'm in, I want to be in. Um, but I, f I feel like I, am I stupid? Is that I'm being, mm. I feel like what I'm being told is that it's dumb to believe these things or there's no good reason to believe these things. Or I, like you said earlier, he, this guy that I'm supposed to follow wants me to deny myself. Mm -hmm. No one else is telling me yeah. to do that. In fact, everyone else is saying to do that. It would be oppressive. That mm -hmm. would be wrong. Yeah. Uh, what, how did, why are you still here? What, what are you doing this for? Yeah. Surely you have stories that can rival mine. You're mm. older than me. And yeah. why? Why stay around? Why stick around? I think Jesus's vision and rubric for life is the most compelling out of all alternatives. And at least in the alternatives that I've gotten the chance to lay eyes on and then try out and see other people try out and all that. I don't know all that's out there. I'm compelled even for those that I haven't seen that Jesus is still the best. Yes. But for me, what I would honestly, and what I actually do, because I have uh, folks who are in my youth ministry who are now graduating high school, now entering into college, and they're going, man, I don't know. I'm like, you're actually closer than what you think to yep. Jesus because you were doing it because your parents told you, and you think that was going to make me happy and proud of you to be like, all right, yeah, I confess to you. But you, you weren't really buying into it. But the fact that you're being honest, you're actually closer than what you think. And also, like, just, just watch my life. And you tell me if that's compelling for you. You tell me how I strive to be faithful to my wife, how I try to be loving to my kid, um, how I try to genuinely care for people who are in need. And when you call me and you need something, do I show up when I can? And do I apologize when I fall short? Like in when I have mistakes and when I make them, um, how do I acknowledge that? Like just watch what I do. And watch what I'm striving to do. Watch my failures. Watch the things that I succeed in. And you tell me if that's compelling. That's all I get. Experience, I think, will triumph over head knowledge in this era. That's saying um, a lot coming from you. You've dedicated a lot of your life to head to knowledge. To head knowledge, yeah. yeah, for sure. And had it not been for the experiences and me trying to pattern my life after Phil for so long and others and just trying to look at them and go, man, like, Okay, yeah, I want to be that type of dad because you're trying to follow Jesus and his commands of how you should treat little people and all of this stuff. So that's just what I'm trying to continually do. I feel like for all of the Jesus movement, man, people have just been watching other people follow and try to emulate or imitate and then, you know, come into their own and then people do the same with them. Like that come after them. It's just a continue. That's what we do as humans. We just imitate. Yeah. And that's all I could really offer and go, yeah, like we could talk all the heady stuff, but I think your heart will become uh, inflamed with interest when your hands start doing the stuff, even if your head isn't all the way there. It's like, all right, well, let's, maybe we're going through the motions on this, but just try to try to imitate what I'm doing. And again, you tell me if that's compelling. Yeah. Is it better for me to choose not to cuss this dude out on the road when he cut me off? As you're sitting in my passenger seat, is it better for me to, to choose to not do that, or is it better for me to actually engage and do that? And you tell me what the result is after that. Now, what do you think Jesus would articulate as the wiser thing to do? And that's simple things that happen every day. Yeah. Okay, so this person is at the crosswalk. Should I patiently be, like, you just watch. It's the little things. And that's really all I can offer, to be honest. Yeah. And I think that's where I would go and where I try to go yeah. in my actual life. So you're after uh, lived faithfulness and integrity even though you've dedicated so much of your life and time to um, study, mm -hmm. acumen, yeah. learning, growing. Yeah. Obviously, that's a value to you because you, yeah. you care about it a lot. Oh, it matters. Yeah, but you go forward with faithfulness and integrity. Why, yeah. Let's watch. go in the same direction over a long period of time. I think that's Eugene Peterson. Mm -hmm. But let's go in the same direction over a long period of time, and let's see where it ends up. And with that, I just start asking questions. This is literally what I do with my young folks. I just go, hey, so when you chose to do that, like what happened after? 
like, man, it went to this. I'm like, so was that a wise thing to do? No. Okay. So then how will you navigate that when it comes up again? Because it will. All right. I think I might try to choose differently. Okay. You didn't choose differently the next time it happened. So what do you, like, you're just continually analyzing, but it's using their own life experience to, to go like, okay, you learned a lesson. Now, what are you going to do about that? Are you going to choose to go in a different path? Or are you going to try to continue to go in the same way you've been going? And where do you think that's going to lead you in the long haul? So it's really all I got, man. Man, that's quality teaching. <laughs> you should think about becoming a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Death to Deconstruction by Joshua S. Porter is out now. Next week on the Death to Deconstruction podcast, I'll be talking to my friend Evan Wickham about being raised in an evangelical worship dynasty and the pushback from confessing that God is not the universe. I just said, hot take, God is not the universe. You would have thought I lit a dumpster fire in front of the Pentagon. (laughs) So there are a lot of people who are like, how do you know? How dare you dishonor people's stories? If you want to help support the book, here's how you can do that. Buy a copy, tell other people about it, leave a good review on Amazon and the Apple Podcast app, and follow along for more updates. If you have a question for our upcoming Q&A episode, submit it at joshuasporter.com slash question.